Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Welcome to the show. We've got an absolute cracker for you today. But before we kick on, just a little reminder that please do subscribe if you are enjoying the podcast and make sure you spread the word as well. We'd really appreciate that. Tell all your cycling friends. The more people we can get listening, the better. And also, if you haven't been on the hub yet or seen the Unfound website, go on there and check it out and register. It's www.unfound.cc, www.unfound.cc. You'll see rides from around the world. And if you register and join the community, you can join cyclists from all around the world sharing rides photos stories and a lot more we look forward to seeing you on there anyway today i'm joined by jacob hennessy jacob burst onto the world cycling scene with a spectacular win in ghent wevelgem in 2017 his journey to winning that race is utterly remarkable and his roller coaster journey as a pro since then just highlights what a mad world pro cycling is he's faced crossroads in his career already on a couple of occasions but he still has ambitions and the belief that he can be successful on the biggest stage. At just 23 years old, he has seen and experienced a tremendous amount. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I very much look forward to following his journey from here on in. But anyway, without further ado, let me bring you Jacob. Jacob, thanks for joining us. How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Have you been surviving the last 14 weeks? What have you been, yeah. have you been surviving? Where are you? Uh, I'm in Rutland at the minute, so UK bound, but... Um... Yeah, no, currently it's it's not been too bad for me. I suppose I, I get kind of used to living at home and not really seeing too many people being a cyclist anyway. So the only difference is that I'm not allowed to travel, which is a, sucks a bit, but oh well. It's a pain, yeah. And obviously no, no racing as well. It must be quite difficult to plan your weekly training given that you're not sure what you're training for. Yeah, the weekly training just now is just ride your bike just get out and go for a bike ride it's not so much like all right you need to do this many efforts this like i'm just kind of going off riding my bike and trying to enjoy it a little bit because you can only do that if you're riding on your own like i can't can't ride in groups and i can't go off and do like fun intervals with other people so it's more a case of just ride my bikes and yeah just find some enjoyment in that i suppose yeah that well it must be quite refreshing to be able to do that rather than sort of having to do intervals the whole time and being structured and uh, being on the road as well but then again you're probably itching to get racing yeah no i'm i'm less motivated to just ream myself for 20 hours a week if i'm honest i'm less motivated to just go off and smash out massive weeks training i'm more motivated by the fact like there is a race coming up so let's get in the best shape possible for that and like for me actually just going off and smashing myself to pieces i know i've seen so many people now that have got time off work and they're riding huge weeks and banging in these hours and they're like oh this is brilliant and i'm like yeah but i do it as a job it's slightly different it's like i just i actually like the thing that gets me excited to go off and train is the fact like i'm getting ready for this race and i'm i'm gonna be i'm gonna be going well i'm just yeah better, i suppose yeah I can see that. And, and how, have the, how have the team been? I mean, it must be quite difficult for them. Have they been sort of giving you whatever updates they're getting? Or what, what is the latest status? Well, the team itself is, is Tim Elverson, um, our DS. He, he, he pretty much runs the show and he, he's got his own businesses and stuff like that running at the same time. So oh, wow. we've kind of been in a bit of a weird situation where we've been put on hold and I mean, we're kind of being as understanding as we can be because he has got other things going on and he's got to worry about himself and his family as well. So it's kind of been a bit of white noise and nothing really going on. But I keep just we, we keep just looking at updates and uh, just praying that something's coming up to get back to racing, really. Yeah, it's a bit bit of a holding pattern, I suppose, which is quite disconcerting. Yeah, and for not knowing. That's the problem. That's the yeah. problem. Should we, should we go back a bit? So obviously you and I first caught up, I think, 2018 and, and you just come back from Tour of Langkawi. But let, let's go back to, back to the beginning. How did you get into racing bikes? What age did you suddenly figure out that you were pretty good at it? And talk uh, us through your, your race background. Yeah, yeah. No, that was, a, yeah, that was in Hong Kong, wasn't it? So I, yeah, I, right, um, yeah. I started racing bikes when I was, uh, I would have been 18 at the time, 18 or 19. Can't remember. Kind of blurs into oh, one, sure. but I'd started pretty late. late. Yeah, yeah. I started quite late. I um, I basically I worked. Uh, I had a few jobs, and I worked. One of my jobs, I worked at a garden center, and uh, one of my jobs, I worked at a local bike shop because I was into uh, like jump bikes and BMX in and things like that. Um, coming from a motocross background, and oh, yeah. uh, I, I sort of I 
I was into that sort of style and the mountain bikes and stuff. Wasn't really into road biking. But anyway, I was working at this bike shop and uh, the garden centre. And I rode to the garden centre on my BMX, got a puncture. And uh, the guy traded me for my wage for the day. He traded me this old, rusty steel road bike that he had because I basically needed to get home. So he was like, oh, here, have this. It's just hanging up in the garage. I pumped the tyres up, rode it home. And then I used to ride that to and from my jobs instead of driving because I just I didn't really like it. I didn't really like driving. I just would rather ride my bike. And then, uh, yeah, one thing led to another. I basically, I overtook this guy who lived in the village. I overtook him on the way back from work and I overtook him with a Nike string bag, a pair of running shoes and a beanie hat. And uh, gone yeah. bombing it past him, and he's like in full lycra and stuff like that. And then he got talking. And he was like, "Oh, you know, you should come out with the local cycling club and stuff like that." And I was kind of not really stoked about it, but I went off and did um did the club run with them. But I went off after a massive night out, no breakfast, and just wasn't really didn't really know anything about cycling because like the furthest I'd ridden was like to work and maybe a loop after work so probably 10 miles i did like 60 miles with them in the morning hung over no water no food and i just blew and i just remember like them all laughing and stuff and uh they just said you know you need to like do this do this and i did it the next week and i just wiped the floor with them and i did it on like a crappy bike with no clipping pedals and then after that they were like helping me learn like the little bits of etiquette like the local club was yeah um, and then one day they were just like it wasn't even that long it was like a month or two after i'd st- like did my first ever ride which at the point i was still going out like three times a week because i was working so i was earning reasonable money and i was a teenager so and then i did this they said there's a local bike race coming up so come off and do this uh race with us and i was like yeah sure and they lent me some kit and stuff like that and i went off and did the race and i won and uh then uh the next weekend there was another race and i won that as well and that was the local that was the st neats race so that was like the that was the big one to win at the time and then after well, that, and had you got clippings by now you still yeah, yeah I, no i was clipped in i was clipped no. in by then because i had spoke to the bike shop I, I basically said to the bike shop at the, um that i was working at rutland water and i just said to him i was like i'm doing a bike race like and all the guys then no one was into cycling road cycling they're all mountain bikers and jump bikers and stuff like that. So when I, yeah. uh, when I said like, Oh guys, do you know anything about clipping shoes? It was just like, no, no, none of us know anything about clipping shoes. Like these look quite good. We'll do them for you at cost. So that was basically how we did most okay. of my kit purchasing. So that's a mad story. So given the, the, the sort of day and age where you, you of modern professional sport, you seem to see people get, go into it as sort of age eight or something and they've been sort of trained yeah, yeah. into their life by the time they're 19 yeah. did, what did you play sport growing up or no, what i was always i was always sporty i used to uh because i raced motocross that was my I, I wanted to be a pro motocross racer i just that's all i ever wanted to do and i did that from like, my first motorbike when i was four and wow. i raced until i was 16 17 won a few championships, won a lot of races, raced the nationals and stuff like that. But like I was I was good, but in motocross you you kind of need that. You just need a bit more money to be able to go off and, you know, a lot of these kids were homeschooled that I was racing. So I was doing good, but I wasn't doing amazing. Basically, I think I I reckon if I'd stuck at it, I could have made pro, but I reckon I would have been a national crappy pro or like at a low level. I don't think I would have been yeah. winning and i don't think i'd have been amazingly good but basically we run out of money because it's just one of those sports yeah yeah i've spoken to a lot of people who do go-karting and they seem to say the same thing but it's you know thing yeah i've definitely yeah. heard that so oh that's kind of tough but so obviously you you, you love the you love the speed of the, of the motorbike and i suppose from a from a core athletic perspective it's, it translates quite well to cycling yeah well it's, motocross is like 20 minutes the races are around 15 to 20 minutes when you're a bit younger but you're yeah. you're you're riding at probably an average, your average heart rate's about the one, like high 190s. Because it's okay. like, I don't know if you've ever used those ropes you get at the gym, you know, the ones you just slam up and down. 
Oh, with um, your arms, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that and doing jump squats, but for 20 minutes. And it's kind of like a, you just you, your whole body just gets knackered. Um, so when I come into cycling, it wasn't like I was well out of my depth because I did a little bit of running as well because I just I like to keep fit. Um, yeah. It wasn't like I came in off of the back of nothing. But, I mean, at the time I was 18, I was working at a Titan Motorsport, this local motorsport company, earning pretty good money and just basically spending it all on alcohol at the weekends. And then, yeah, that was kind of where it, the crossover came. So, Weird. so you had a pretty pretty quick rise then from sort of getting on the bike for the first time at 19 what what year was yeah. that so 2016 I went, I, went I think it was I think it was less than it was just over a year I went from never riding a bike with gears to the national team in just over a year <laughs> that's so, unbelievable I went to the national team so you obviously went to the national team and the your sort of colleagues that you're riding with there they'd all been riding for years to take it or were there other yeah, yeah. Are, are there more of you no, no, that was it. They'd all been riding for forever and they all knew each other as well. So I was not well welcomed at the start, but I think... Oh, really? Yeah, okay. no, I think it's... Who's this new guy who's picked up a bike and a bit of the, the new threatening guy? Yeah, I suppose I wasn't really that... I mean, cycling's a bit of a weird one, to be honest. Like, it's a bit of a... Everyone's very guarded and insecure and stuff like that. Not that these guys were, but it's just that that sort of, like, mentality. Whereas, like, motocross and that sort of background is very, like... I, I'm trying to think of a way of saying it, but it's, it's like everyone urges each other to do stupid stuff and it's like no one takes it too seriously. And I, I think it was just a bit of a weird shock to the system when I went there and everyone's, you know, been doing it and been saying, like, you know, their parents have been telling them they're going to be the best since they were like eight years old, whereas my dad's yeah, like yeah. daring me to do stupid stuff. Like it's not really the same mentality. So it took a little yeah. bit of time to get my head around, but after, you know, I, I just sort of like when I joined the national team, I had my head down because it was like, well, if you're going to do it, you got to work hard. So I might as well. I just put my head down, headphones in and just got the riding done. And that was about it. Really. Just got it done. Yeah. Just what an opportunity you had, right? You've gone from sort of, you're sort of riding with people. I'm sure at yeah. 19 were having, you know, super healthy diets and you were out on the smash. Exactly. Well, <laughs> this is the thing it went from, it went from a really, so when I, started cycling i then not long after joined that motorsport company and the guy who became managing director of that company that i was working for i had fixed his bike two weeks prior to me joining uh, on my last day at grafham the rutland store and i built his bike and then he turned up at that work and was going around introducing himself saying i'm the new managing director and like he come over to me and I just like looked at him and I'm like, where the f- do I know you from? And then it was like, yeah. oh, I built your bike like two weeks ago. Anyway, and then after that, we bonded and he was like getting me more amped up for cycling because we were just like talking about it all the time. And then he weirdly put, he was the one after my first, basically he was the one who then put me in touch with someone who said like that I might actually be okay and kind of got me on the right path. So it was all like really weird coincidence type thing yeah just like right place right time consistently for a good amount of time really yeah it's amazing and a slight tangent i mean given given your sort of entrance into the sport and given how as i mentioned kids are getting into it and very serious earlier and earlier do you think there are other people with similar talent and ability that that sort of slip through the net out there Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of people that maybe don't get the right guidance that I got when I first started and then never maybe take it quite serious enough. And then there's also a lot of people who have been, like you say, brought up with it and it's all they know. And there's so much like it's I can't remember what my dad used to my dad used to call it like um, it's basically like aggressive parenting where they just like, yeah, tiger parenting do it. And yeah. And they're just like yeah. forcing you to do it. And like, I, I feel there's so many people that end up just doing it too much and they kind of just lose the reason for doing it. So ever when there's like some hardship, they can't really like fall back on it. They're just, it's just that all they know and they kind of just lose the love. Yeah. You, you see it around the under 23s. There's so many people that just like pitter out of not wanting to do it anymore. And do you, that's what I mean. Do you think that, you know, your diversity of background has, has stood you in good... I mean, you're only 23 still, right? So it's yeah. still early in your career, but it stood you in good stead in terms of just being able to handle difficult situations or a little bit better compared yeah, to I some think others? It's, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not the only thing that I like 
doing so it's like i mean i love i love cycling and it is like basically my entire life but at the same time you know i've i've done a lot of other cool stuff before that i'm kind of glad that i did because otherwise now i don't have the opportunity so uh, for instance doing this lockdown thing i i got to ride um a motorbike for the first time in four years five years i got to ride one um yeah very cool and like i got to ride one the other day and i was just like this is awesome but like it didn't even cross my mind that it was weird because I just got on and was like, straight away it felt normal. So Back I'm on the of, horse, yeah. I did see that on Instagram. We'll we'll, we'll put your Instagram uh, link yeah. in, the, in the show notes for people to check that out. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's 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 good. And it, I suppose it goes like, I suppose there's a, there's a sort of bit of a debate with regard, you know, that Mal- Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hour rule to you know just cycling and doing all that. And new new sort of thought theory is David Epstein says that range is really important. So actually. You know, look at the Roger Federer as an example that he grew up in a, with non-pushy parents and he played football and he played handball and he played tennis and he played a number of different sports. And, and a lot of people attribute his genius to the fact that he had that range of diversity of background and he wasn't sort of pushed down one specific channel from a very early age. Exactly. Well, you can only, this is the thing that you get because you, you can only push your kids so much, but then they have to decide to do it. And the only time you're ever going to get the best out of yourself is if you're doing it. It's like if someone tells you something and it's an amazing idea, like it's not as good as if you come up with that exact same idea. Like it just takes a bit of time to come around. And like, I think like someone like that, he's not training to be the best tennis player in the world. When he's a kid, he's training to be the best athlete. And I think I, I take that a lot because with, with, I used to think it when I used to do a bit of running what it comes down to at the end of the day is when you're both hurting, it's like, who's the better athlete who can hold their breath longer in that final sprint and really like hurt themselves and that sort of thing. And I kind of feel like that with cycling a lot. Like it's kind of feels like you're getting your head pushed underwater, but it's like who can hold their head under longest and who's going to like suffer the most. And you can only do it. I think if you have made the decision yourself rather than, someone else yeah intrinsic motivation that's what it comes down to yeah and that was it and actually i I listened to an interesting podcast where they they looked at that the gladwell thing and they said no tiger woods basically he's that perfect example of he's just played golf from from age two and he's excelled but the difference being his motivation came from within he always that's what he wanted to do like he loved golf and that was his thing so he was okay doing that but if you're pushed to do it and that's all you do and actually it's your parents who are wanting you to do it and you're not necessarily that driven by it it will never work. No, no, no exactly. matter how many hours you put in. Yeah, exactly. You can put ten thousand hours, but if you're only putting ten thousand half-assed hours in, or something that someone's forcing you to do it or pushing you from behind, it doesn't really work. You, you've got to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I noticed it a lot because when I started cycling, it was like, well, my, no one in my family. Like I remember the first time I shaved my legs, and my dad just took the piss out of me for about three weeks like non-stop and he still does now like this is the thing like no one in my family understood it at all so when I went out and I spent my wage uh I spent my wage one week and I bought a set of carbon wheels and that caused a massive argument in our house because it was just like why would you buy them and I'm like who are they designed for they're literally designed for me like I'm quite I'm good at this come on trust me and uh I just remember like my parents were not exactly supportive of cycling because they didn't uh, because they didn't understand it um yeah but because i'm a bit i don't know a bit it's a bit rebellious i don't know it's hardly because it's cycling but it's more like i just wanted to do it and that's what i was doing and i decided so no one could tell me anything otherwise yeah just pick it up i think well, no, you got to be, you got to be focused and determined, right, to put the work in. But yeah, exactly. so you obviously, you within a year, you've been picked up by by the the national squad. How did you end up joining uh, Mitchelton Bike Exchange? How did that come about? So, uh, yeah, I, I joined the national team. I'd done my year there, done really well, and there were some talks with a few teams. There was a lot of so I had I had a few agents getting in touch with me because it had just gone from like zero to hero, and I started doing all right. And then, did you win again before? When did you win again? Uh, I, I won Webble again when I was with GB. Yeah, so uh, yeah, for, that was my first. That was my. Oh, no, actually, it wasn't my first UCI race. I think it was my, one of my second. Might have been my second UCI race. I, I just raced. I did. Yeah, that was my the first proper race of the year, and uh, I remember the the coach at the time telling me he was like, right, 
it's Keith Lambert, this uh, Yorkshire lad, and he was like, right, if you get stuck on the left, you're knackered, so go on the right. So I was like focused and like nailed it on the right-hand side at the sprint. And like, I remember crossing the line and he was like, oh, yeah, I've never seen him so happy. But uh, yeah, no. Oh, amazing. What, that must have been an amazing feeling. Yeah, very, very strange, very surreal. But um, yeah. I didn't really know what to do or how to, because it was like I, I wasn't, I, I genuinely was like, my goal for the day was to try and finish. So it was like, right, okay, well, let's just finish this one and see where you go. Because Keith, the coach at the time, kept saying to me, he was like, yeah, you, you'll be there. You'll be there at the end. You'll be there at the end. And the thing is, I'd only ever done two races in Belgium and they were that week. So I did a race on the Sunday, a race on the Wednesday, and then a race on the other Sunday. So Wevelgem was the third race I did. I, I just, I'd never raced in Belgium. So it was just, everything was like light speed. Like I just couldn't believe how quick everyone rode. Um, really? Yeah. And like my first race, I got to the, fi- I got, I think I come eight. And I was like, at the end of it, I was like, well, oh, that's not bad. Like I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. And then the second race I won and I was like, all right, okay, I've got the hang of racing in Belgium. And then that's why he was saying, trust me, you'll do well, you'll do well. But I was still really sceptical. I was like, yeah, all right, let's just finish first. And yeah, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Was that the bit of a big moment career-wise? Obviously, massive win, huge win. But did the phone start ringing then? That's when clubs, teams came in. What, 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 yeah, how did that change things for you? Pretty much immediately, really. Because really? I, I did, I, I finished that race and there was people like pestering me from the finish of the race and like you know there was a person uh, one of the teams offered to pay me out of the contract with gb to go and ride the rest of the season with them Um, wow and i i won't say who it was but i just remember because it was at the time it was like an agency and this and i was just like i'm not i'm not interested but at the time it just kind of took me away like how big it was because i didn't know this the worst bit about it is i didn't really know anything about the race I just of course because you you didn't grow up as like a no, cycling fan I, watching all the my, races you probably never heard of it my my goal my goal that year was to win Flanders which was the next weekend so I was just I just happened to be or like a week um, a couple of weeks after so I just happened to be in good shape for that one it wasn't a target at all I just ended up being in the right place right like yeah and I just ended up doing well so then after that i did zlm as well which i made the move and split the race with lawless and rode the front for the last like 8k of the race because lawless had basically said that he wanted to win and i was like well i mean i i I didn't really know anything at the time so i was like yeah sure all right okay let's try and win it and then third wheel crashed as we went around a corner so it was just me and him so then it was like right nail it as hard as i can for a couple hundred meters then Chris took over and he went off yeah. and won. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was the rest pretty, is history. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that season, so that's when you ended up joining the Mitchton guys, right? After that year. Yeah, yeah. So after that year, so basically the coach at the time, Brian Stevens, yeah. was, uh, he, he was also, because he, he was really well connected with the guys at Cycling Australia and uh, James Victor, who was the actual guy running the Mitchelton team at the time. Okay. They'd been friends for ages and, Basically, Brian had spoken to James and said, listen, I've got a kid and he's pretty good. What do you think? And James had known me and that from a few of the races in the year where I'd beaten a few of his guys. Okay. So he knew me anyway. I don't really, I can't really remember how it properly came about. My agent, uh, Gary, I think was the final person to kind of come in and just seal everything off. Because there was a lot of people saying like, and talking here and there and kind of, yeah, we'd love to do this. We want to do this. We want to do this. And then I think Gary was the person to actually come in and say, right, here you go, sign this and you're, you're good to go. So and you're done. Yeah. And how was that year? You travel, you spent a lot of time traveling that year, didn't you? You did Langkawi and you did a lot of time in China as well. How, how did you find it? And cause you had some, I think we, Robert Stanard was racing then as well, wasn't he? And that. Um, yeah. We had an team. amazing team where like, to be honest, it was still one of the best, like i mean it results wise it wasn't but as an experience it was probably the best year of my life because we just yeah, the like, amount the, the, the stuff you see like even you know i met you in hong kong and like yeah. when i went there i was still a bit like like kind of i don't know everything was happening so quick i couldn't really experience anything i was just like finally sat down at the end of the year and i was like wow that was a cool year 
can't believe that happened. Oh, even when we met you, we were up the top of a skyscraper, this, weren't we? Yeah, like, we're in the centre of Hong Kong eating sea cucumber for dinner and like yeah. random stuff like that. And I was just like, this is the most bizarre experience. And like even looking back now, it still doesn't quite feel real. It kind of like, you know, we got we drove through the centre of Hong Kong to do a photo shoot and the bus driver was going for a piss in a bucket next to us. And you just like... You, we got there and we're like this is the, literally the weirdest thing to ever happen like especially because i wasn't used to cycling at all so but the guys that i met they were like they're australians so they're a lot more relaxed yeah um, and i yeah i absolutely loved it results wise it wasn't as good as i'd hoped it would be because actually when i really hit my stride and was flying and stuff like that i then had another crash and got injured again and it was just a bit of a yeah is what it is really but a good year but uh, as, as as far as experience goes that was amazing yeah i mean i think travel gives you so much right just to see different things and i laugh when you mentioned the bus driver taking a piss because i've obviously spent 10 years in asia and nothing surprises you you see everywhere you go you know you no, no, exactly. i love it yeah exactly exactly love it and actually, I think you just finished, you just done Langkawi when I saw you, right? And it wasn't it like unbelievably hot that year? I mean, oh. it's always hot during the tour of Langkawi, but I think that year particularly was un, like ridiculous. Yeah, I remember because I, I went there and I'd never met Sweeney before and uh, Harry Sweeney and I'd never met him before. And he'd just come from um, Australia and I'd just come from an English winter. So we went to, we, we met up at the first time in Langkawi and I was just, I was creeping the whole week. I just couldn't, I, I just could not cool down. Like we're talking 30 plus degrees at night with no conditioning, like air conditioning. Yeah. And a ridiculous humidity as well. And like, like 90%, 90% humidity. humidity, 90% humidity, 40 plus degrees during the day. And like, yeah. you're just banging through like 10, 12 bottles in a race. And then you've got to get up and do it the next day. And I just remember... I got to Hong Kong at the end and like it was still it was still reasonably hot there like humid. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Still reasonably humid there, but I got there and I was like, wow, this is cold like this is freezing now compared to 45 degrees and 90%. So yeah, no, that was weird though cuz like you say we'd just got to Hong Kong from Langkawi, which was not my first stage race, but it was like one of the longer races that I'd done. And I was Yeah, it's quite a tough race actually Langkawi, isn't it? It's really hard. <laughs> Really good riders hard. there as well yeah yeah uh, yeah it was just insanely hard um especially i think it was mainly the heat as well like a few of the aussies do well there and also a lot of the malaysian riders i think there's a team terengganu they do really well there because it's that that's they're used to that heat so for them it wasn't so big a bigger change but for me it took me the first five six days of the race to even just sort myself out and catch up a bit um yeah Really and you went a race up very high in in China as well, didn't you? What? what? Yeah, Qinghai, Qinghai Lake. Again, I, I'm going to go there when I'm old and fat and stop cycling. I'm going to take some time and go there and actually just look around because, as far as places to go, that insane, is, right? is just insane. Like you, it's so strange. You're at four and a half thousand meters up in the air, and like you're not the highest point you're just yeah. like you're just a bump like we did one climb and it's 3900 meters elevation at the top and as i got to the top of it i look around and we're like one of the lowest climbs and i was like what is this like it just seems like it's like land of the lost type thing like every world yeah. way bigger than yeah. Uh, yeah if anyone's interesting and uh, interested and hasn't listened to the the podcast i did with shannon bufton shannon runs cirque cycling which is sort of frontier cycling in china uh, and kyrgyzstan and even north korea that's definitely an episode worth checking out and that he's done he was the guy that pioneered everesting everest right. um there's a road that goes all the way up to everest base camp but that is, it's an amazing place and did you actually you race that high as well what was it like racing yeah. at the altitude We'd just done, so I, I had, I did the baby Giro, the uh, under 23 Giro d'Italia. I finished that, I had a week with my girlfriend, now fiance in like sunny Spain. And we were just like living the dream there, like a week of just riding in stupidly hot weather. But she was a pro at the time as well. Ah. And it was just like quite a nice week to chill out. And then I went straight from there to two and a half weeks in Lavigno riding up Stelvio and proper altitude training first time ever doing that 
Uh, and then we went from there to King High, which was even higher and did, I think I was there for, I think total I was there for 23 days because I think we were there 10 days before the race to yeah. get used to it or something like that. Um, yeah. By the time I got back, it was like breathing in syrup when you got back and just normal oxygen. Like I basically had gills at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's wicked so a uh, year after you joined your current team didn't you yeah yeah so the year after so basically we got told oh, i never actually this is the weird thing because i still kind of i'm not i don't hold it over them but i never actually got told i didn't have a ride I never, oh with mitchelton i never got told anything i just got told what other people knew of this is the word no so i i only ever got told that the team wasn't happening from one of the guys who had just signed Caden. He was saying at the time, he was like, oh, the team's not happening next year. And I was like, oh, all right, fair enough. What do we That's, do then? Uh, I didn't realise that had happened. I no, thought it was, I didn't. So I never they, actually... They, they disbanded the development team, did they? Yeah, so they, they, they went full. They had only Chinese riders because they wanted it to be a pure Chinese development team. Yeah, um, yeah. Which was, yeah, but I, I kind of, I understand it and I get why. Uh, I just, it just, it just was really strange at the time because I didn't. Badly, badly communicated. Badly well, communicated. I think, I think given everything that we've seen in the press in the last week, I think that, um, you know, certainly the, the day I met you was, was an insight into just how difficult finding sponsorship is for 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 teams and i think um obviously green edge has been well documented in, in the last week, everything that's happened with um, the Spanish charity. I, I think it. Yeah, I don't know if I had something to do with it, but I yeah. know that they're, you know they're looking for Chinese sort of backing, weren't they at the time? Yeah, so I don't know what ever happened to that. Um, I, know, I think that I, I can't. I don't actually know if the team's still going. I know that they did um, some racing in the last year or so, but I haven't seen or heard anything from them. It'd be a shame if they have stopped because yeah. it was such a brilliant little setup. Yeah, when it had the Aussies on it, it was like the ideal setup because they can race in europe they can race in asia and it's kind of like a win-win yeah but i remember i messaged uh i messaged one of the riders on mitchelton when the uh when that uh what was their new sponsor fundazione something for 14 days yeah i can't remember the name of it yeah Uh, when basically i messaged him when i saw the kit and i sent i was like oh that'll look good mate and with like a a bit of joking and uh then messaged him back like five days later going never mind (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah it's um it's a it's a strange situation what, what's your take on it I, just, well, I think the thing is with cycling it's so it's such a careful balancing act between yeah. the team being the best they've ever been and like completely written off and money does play a, a big part in it but it's so easy it seems, to lose everything yeah i mean from an outsider perspective it seems and this is this is certainly not a criticism because it's such a difficult thing. But for for a sport that where the the focus on performance is so scientific and so sophisticated, and then obviously they have these sort of sort of media images of what these teams are like. For for me to see a little bit behind the scenes, my day job is within financial services, and I, I just remember being quite shocked at just how uh, ramshackle is the wrong word, but it's it's you're right. Obviously, it's just, just going it, from year to year like, trying to find sponsorship yeah. so tough, right? It just seems like as I didn't know anything about it really coming into it. I, I had no idea what the only things I knew of at the time was, you know, sort of like Bradley Wiggins, Lance Armstrong and these people that are earning massive money and they've got the best teams and I kind of come yeah. into the sport and it's just nothing like that. It really is nothing like that. You've got the very small percent that is, but like you say, it just seems so strange that they're putting all this money behind athlete well-being yet you give them a year's contract and you know you don't let them sign for until the right at the end of the year so you have this like horribly stressful end to every season where it's just yeah it's just a running race to see who can get on which team and basically i was lucky or or not even communicated to you or not even communicate exactly exactly or not even communicate but the thing is i kind of because I, i just knew of things that were happening and it was weirdly one of the DSs at Mitchelton who was a very, like, loose uh, helper anyway. Like, not a loose helper, but he was, like, he, he wasn't really in that main businessy clique. He was just someone they brought in yeah. was, like, really bloody good. And uh, I just remember, like, him saying about it, 
and just being like, mate, just get yourself another ride just in case. And I am. Um, and he was I mean, just that like, must be so hard for you. That must have been so difficult. I mean, it's, I don't mean to say it's okay for you, but obviously you've you've come through a different path. You've you know you've you've had jobs. You, you're probably a little bit more savvy than a, than a lot of riders would have been at your age. I, I mean, how did other riders? I mean, has did it stop people progressing? Did people sort of stop right racing? Yeah, or yeah. so many people. So many people were folding, and like people were just stopping riding really because like there's no. I I nearly did at the time. I nearly that was it. That was me nearly done. Really? So I had, I, I, I was lucky. I saved, you know, 80% of my wage from that year because yeah. that's what I'd always been taught. And I, I just saved everything I could. And then the team folded and I was trying to find a team, trying to find a team. Could not find anyone that would just take me, basically. But why was that given this, the success yeah. you'd have, the reputation I, that you were building? Honestly, uh, I have your- no idea. I have no idea. It was really, it was a, that was a pretty dark time because I was kind of a bit, because, you know, even that year I'd got a couple, I, I'd got, I'd still got quite a few point HC race podiums. Um, yeah. And like, I'd still been doing reasonably well. And like, you know, you go to, it's a lot of it's word of mouth, but we'd go to these under 23 races and like, you know, people would actually be coming up to me, bearing in mind, I knew nothing about the sport, but people would be coming up to me and asking like what the plan is for the day. And this is other teams as well coming up to me because like I was just the, the motor that would push the bunch along in a lot of the races for that reason. So they'd be coming up saying, you know, what are we doing? What's this? And like, I, I felt a bit hurt that when I got to the end of the season that no one would take me on but then tim i knew tim elverson used to race motocross back in the day we vaguely knew of each other when i was like just starting out yeah and i just i he, he just I, I think i got in touch i got his number i just called him up one day and i was like what are you doing next year and he was like i've just seen about my team he was like you can come race for us but i can't pay you wow so and like at the time i was like i'm not interested because like I, i've got to earn money I've got, yeah. I got a girlfriend. I got, you know, like I'm not getting any younger, and I can't just not earn anything. Well, plus, 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 you've you've had results that that warrants, um, yeah, uh, getting paid. You know, if you if you're going to get exposure for sponsors, and and I think you, you know, in a sport, we talk about sort of people that have come all the way through, and you've got a personality, and there's a little bit more to you. I mean, you think that's like a sponsorship stream? You'd think, you would think, but basically, he just said, "I oh, listen, I can't, I can't pay you, mate. You can come ride for us. We'll give you a bike, and then you know, we'll see what see what happens." So I just went, and, uh, I went off and rode for him, but. It's a bit of a weird one because the winter for that year, I was kind of stressing that I, I wasn't going to be earning money. So I earned as much money as I could then. I was doing a lot of laboring, a lot of like other bits and pieces here and there. So it was a bit of a, it was a really, really weird year. This year's been a lot better, but then again, I only got paid for a few months and then coronavirus kicked in. So it was a bit of a kick in the teeth again, but it's just how cycling goes. I think when you, you won Motherwell, um, yeah. You were sort of non-paid that year. No, which is why I was doing so well at the crits because I could only train shorter durations because I was working as well. So it was a bit of a weird one. From an outsider, that seems totally insane. And if, if if no one's seen the footage of you winning that 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 sprint, it's quite a good. You must be proud of that one. That's yeah, quite yeah. a good little. I like coming it. up. Uh, they asked me for the numbers. Whatever. Yeah, they asked me. For, they asked me for the power data for um for Wahoo. And I, I looked through it and I was like, fingers crossed. I was like, I hope I didn't look like a wuss. Like, I hope I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I hope I wasn't sprinting. Then I looked at the numbers and I was like, all right, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I can send them that. So That's I, a yeah. good one, yeah. No, uh, look- I'm going to pop that in the show notes as well because that, <laughs> that is, yeah. 1600 watts and a hell of a finish as well so that's a good one so okay so obviously this season started better and then coronavirus has hit Where, what what what's the plan so this year this year i i went i because of last year because not getting paid and stuff like that and like we were renting a place as well i basically went for all my savings i did an absolute ton of work when i got injured towards the end of last year and i just did loads of work as much as i could get my hands on yeah. Got as much money as I could. And then in November, October, October time, I started training like flat out. November, I did my first camp. I did three weeks in December. I basically spent, I got to January 
uh, and I had like six pounds in my bank account. And I literally had no savings left. I had six pounds in my bank account and like 80 cent from my euro account from racing with Mitchelson because I just spent all of my money on training camps. Wow. And I put myself in the best possible position to do well. And then, uh, yeah, just one thing led to another. And I then this is where we're at now, really. So it's kind of a bit of a kick in the teeth, but I, at least I don't regret not trying my best for this year. Um, yeah. Because it is what it is, and- really. Well, and we we I mean we could still get some races towards the end of the year, do we think, or what? What's your sort yeah, of general general? Yeah, uh, again, because the problem was I then uh, so I got paid for first two months, three months of this year, and then the team obviously all the sponsors are withholding money because that's how teams work. Sponsors are withholding money because they don't know if they're going to stay afloat, so the team doesn't get paid, meaning the riders don't get paid. So I haven't been. You know, I again, I've not been paid for the last three months, four months, and like because I was only self-employed as of January this year. Yeah, I don't get any universal credit or nothing. So it's basically all battle stations, straight up hustle as much money as I can at the minute, and then see where I stand when racing comes back round. I'm, you know, the the racing is so secondary at the minute because I got, like I say, I got a fiance now. I got yeah. Congratulations. When did you um? When did you propose? Last year, last year, I just, I, I, I just said to, I was like, I haven't got any money, but I will have. So, um, will you marry me? <laughs> Basically, something along those lines. And uh, you were romantic, you. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, well, she stuck with me when I had absolutely nothing. So we'll, we'll be all right. So, yeah, no, I've been, sure. I've been very lucky. Sure. And then like, this year, it was going to be kind of the year to come back up, and both of us were doing well at the start of the year, and. She works in events yeah. herself. Sorry, say that again. She works in events. Events like uh, doing videography and stuff like that for all these big oh, cycling companies. So, uh, oh, wicked. But then because no one's doing anything, she can't work. So we're in a bit of a oh, – we've basically just been hustling. and I've been uh, looking for labouring jobs. She's been looking for cleaning jobs. It's very, uh, very strange. Oh, mate. Well, if there's anyone listening, any anyone that wants to provide you with some corporate sponsorship. Well, if, anyone um, has, if, anyone has any, uh, if anyone has any um, cleaning or labouring work, let me know. Even labour work or any, any, I mean, there must be cycling people listening to this, right? There must be some form of promotions or something that you can you can do given given a your clear talent and and b your knowledge and and see your background so yeah it's a shout out to anyone if you're listening yeah, for sure shout out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good yeah kids well it's, it's pretty tough so for, so for, moving on to 2021 it's kind of a bit of an unknown for you at the moment or a big bit of yeah, a question it's mark a, or? it's a it's a big question mark at the minute it really uh, i don't I, i'm definitely going to be racing i'm definitely going to be racing it just depends yeah. what capacity because I can't afford to not get paid and take it. The problem is as well, it's, it's quite a full-on job. It's seven days a week. You don't have any downtime. There's no weekends because your off days or your rest days might be dur- during the week. So you don't really hang out with anyone else. No. But obviously with the racing being as serious as it is and like so global, you know, we race all over the place. Like I said before, when we're in China and stuff, we're all, we're literally all over the place. So for me, I kind of, it's a weird one because I, I'd like to earn money, but a lot of jobs don't really like you swanning off for five days out of the week. So it's a, just try and see where I stand at the end of this season, see what the deal is. I'm going to try and do a little bit of mountain bike racing as well, because I've never done that, which is a really weird thing to never have done seen as I come from motocross. Um, yeah yeah yeah. Uh, give I, that a crack you, you would be awesome at that no, that's the thing i've done the crits and i'm quite good at the crits and i've i've never done a mountain bike race and it just seems bizarre that i've managed to be cycling this long and never done it so i'm going to do a bit of that but the, the plan is to continue with the road hopefully stay with the same team so long as everything's all good with us yeah. and hopefully there we're okay after all of this is done basically that's the main thing like as long as the team's okay but like I said before, Tim's got his own problems to worry about. So I'm not really yeah, putting too much yeah. pressure on him because it's not his fault. 
No, of course, it's no one's fault, and everyone's going through challenges at the moment. It's difficult for everyone, and it's just just so interesting to hear that you know there's no one that hasn't been affected in in some way or another. No, exactly. Ultimately, long longer term goal. I mean, do you, do you see yourself trying to um, get back to you know get into to world tour race at that level? Do you think that's on the achievable? Yeah. So literally, before uh, when I was at Mitchelton, yeah. I had the guy from Lotto Yumbo contact me the week before ZLM. Um, and they were coming to watch me race there. And then I crashed and broke my collarbone with about 250 metres to go. Nice. And literally every single time it seems to happen because before there was a stagiaire opportunity with Sky and then I got smashed yeah. into in uh, Manchester and I got run over in Manchester and smashed my face in. So I couldn't do that. It just seems to be like it was at the start of cycling, right place, right time. And then the last couple of years have been wrong place, wrong time, just deck it and get hit by cars and stuff. But I think definitely on the cards, I'd love to do it. Yeah. Otherwise I wouldn't still be doing it because for me, I have to, for me, it's better. I I only want to race that top level. Like I'm not, I'm not super motivated to do the, the running round and just doing random races in Belgium. I want to race Roubaix. I want to do worlds, that sort of thing. So does everyone, I suppose. Yeah, but that's, I mean, there's no reason why you can't, right? You've, you, you've won it. You've won big races at under 23. You're, you're still 23, are you right? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, still 23. Still 23. Yeah, so, so um, yeah, that's exciting. And and that, that's the kind of rider you would, obviously, you've been, you've done super well in the crits recently. You're talking about mountain biking, but you see yourself as a sort of gritty one-day specialist. Yeah, well, when I went to GB, I think the guy, the coach said it best when I first went there, Brian's, uh, someone had gone over and asked for an interview and said like what do you reckon to Jacob like he's a pretty good sprinter and Brian was like I don't think he's a sprinter I reckon he's just someone that will get there at the end of a hard day and be able to sprint which I think is probably more accurate because like I I can sprint and I'm a pretty good sprinter but a lot more comfortable in those situations where it's been like five hours on the pedals and everyone's tired and you know everyone's tired whereas some of the sprints is just chaos yeah and yeah, I just I don't think I I don't think I've raced long enough to be uh, really quick at those sort of things. But I think it, yeah, yeah, I'm getting there. Interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. I, well, I think everyone missed. We were really I really missed those sort of spring classics this year. They kind of punctuate the year for you, don't you? I don't yeah, know about you. But me, I love them so much. Hundred percent. That's the first bike race. The first bike race I spoke to him actually this year. I had a proper fangirl moment. I went over and uh, I first ever bike race I watched. Uh, was uh, Nicky Terpstra winning Paris Roubaix in 2014, and I'd never, oh, wow, yeah. I never watched, I never watched the tour when Wigo won it. I never watched it. No, so oh no, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I, I literally didn't know cycling was. This sounds stupid saying it now, but I didn't know cycling was a sport. Like I knew of Lance Armstrong, but I didn't really care because I wasn't. Mo- I didn't even like because of motocross. I didn't even look it up as a sport yeah and like i, I just remember You're making me feel old by the way jacob i was married <laughs> by the time we go on the tour <laughs> yeah exactly i just i genuinely i never even knew it was and then i i after that like now i watch the videos back and i've been watching them back and back because i got into it and then now i kind of like understand the history of it but the first race i watched was terpstra winning uh roubaix because when i was still working part time in the bike shop. I yeah. they had that on TV at when I was yeah. there. Uh, they just had it on TV, yeah. and I was sat there like there wasn't a lot going on, so we were sat there watching it, kind of like on and off. And I remember watching him finish and just seeing like how emotional he was at finishing. And I was like, "Yeah, mate, what are you doing? Come on, pull yourself together!" Like, and he's like crying and properly happy at the end. And I was like, just hadn't didn't really. Yeah, that was the first time I ever sort of fell in love with cycling. So that was the race. And I you say you missed him. Actually, we should we should probably wish him all the best because he's had a bit of a crash this this week, hasn't he? He's been in hospital. I think he's just come out today. So Terpstra. Um, yeah. So speedy recovery to him. But you mentioned you had a fanboy moment. And got to meet him. Yeah, yeah. I met him. So I was in a I was in Le Samen this year with him, and uh, okay, the race was just absolute chaos. Like here, there, and everywhere, and. Uh, Every time I put a bottle in my bike, it just fell out, and I was just like basically blue. And he wasn't on a good day, so basically we we're in this, we we're in like the second or third group on the road. And I, I remember coming across the line, and I just like rode up alongside him, like pushing everyone out of the way. And I was just like basically told him like 
literally the first ever bike race and the reason I got into cycling was because of him. Yeah. And like, because he was the first classics rider that I'd ever knew of or seen. Yeah. And yeah, I, I went over and just like said hi and just kind of introduced myself and he was like, yeah, whatever, mate. Kind of brush. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, he just kind of like, I don't know. I suppose it's just the same with anything because like, obviously it's dead awkward for him because he doesn't know who I am. But I know everything. <laughs> yeah, about yeah, him. yeah. So I, I know everything that he's done. I'm like, oh, how was that holiday you took three years ago to Spain? <laughs> like, he just has no idea who I am. So yeah, but it was really, uh, yeah, it was proper, proper cool. Because I never thought when I first started, that's all was. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to race with those people that I was watching. And yeah. Even though um, I'm not doing. When you did you meet uh, Matty Heyman when you were there? Obviously. With with uh, with Mitchelton. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. Uh, I did the October camp with the team, which is like where they just kind of get everyone together, introduce all the new riders that are coming. So like, I think when I joined, it was like Nieve was joining from Sky. So he was like introducing yeah. himself to the riders and kind of getting used to everyone and the staff. Um, so I did that. And uh, yeah, I met I met Matt Heyman briefly, but... That's one of my favourite wins. And that's kind of oh, a... Yeah epic you know that, that whole yeah. just keep riding and the, the whole story uh, that's a brilliant backstage pass well, video he, actually I he, love he just kind of like he he is that team like as a person he is that everything that team stands for like just the kind of has a bit of a laugh takes it pretty serious but at the same time is just like a hard worker um yeah and yeah, I absolutely, yeah. Now I watch, now the thing is, this is the thing, I now look back and I, I watch that even more now and I'm like, oh, cool. Because I did a camp with all them guys and it's kind of like cool to see them. Yeah, I don't know. It was really strange, like even just hanging out with them. Like the first time I met all of those guys, I like, I remember meeting Chavez and like, I, I just knew him as this big star, but he's like five foot nothing. And like, just like one of the f- most friendly people I've ever met. So yeah, very strange. Uh, that's good to hear. It's nice to hear when you hear stories like that because yeah. you never know what someone's uh, media persona is like and what they're really like I off think, the bike. Because that, that backstage pass was probably the best thing that team had ever done because it made everyone seem human. And like they are exactly how they come across on backstage pass because you can't be fake with a camera in your face that much. Yeah. You know, like they're getting constantly filmed so they they're, they're eventually like gonna show what they're actually like and they're all just like genuinely really nice people the staff are all super friendly as well but yeah i really liked it i like my time at that team it's interesting we, we i mean we we talked before we started recording just about where where, where cycling is going but what, what do you make of i suppose ef education and, and people doing sort of non-classic road races as well uh, the sort of big gravel races and everesting and just trying to develop i suppose i think vorta's thing is is developing the or, or sort of promoting the personalities of the, of the riders and creating people that people want to support and follow and what's your take on that i think from having been in the industry for a while i think it's a really smart marketing move because it just appeals and gets the people fixed on that team yeah i think a lot of teams are doing it now you know like you've got alperson as well doing a lot of you know because of vanderpol he does mountain biking he does road he does everything i think it definitely brings like a larger audience to cycling which is what you want at the end of the day and uh, yeah. those people that they're getting forward to do that, like Lachlan Morton and stuff, they're not your typical road cyclists. So I think, like I say, again, it brings more people to the sport, which can only be a good thing. And if they've only ever seen one rider with one team, like I, my first put one was uh, Terpstra at Quickstep. So for me, that was like, oh, I'd love that team. I love that rider and all of that. Whereas if you've only ever seen luckland morton doing cool stuff you'll be like oh wow i like that rider that team is amazing so for ef it's ideal really yeah and, and that's why i say i mean it's interesting isn't it obviously the the road race results are always key but almost what people are doing off the bike now and their personality and and you know some of the some of the more relatable things that they're doing to the average Joe cyclist are, are becoming almost more valuable for the sponsors than, than sort of picking up yeah. particular, particular results in like midweek races, say for example. So yeah, it's all social media and it? it's all, all about what they're posting and like just trying to show off that they are human. 
but yeah, that's what that's what cycling gets you nowadays. Because if you're, uh, you know, if you're joining it and doing it as a job, you ride your bike seven days a week, but you have to let everyone know you're riding your bike seven days a week as well. That's the problem. You have to yeah. constantly be posting. I see it all the time. You just see constant people posting photos of their wahoo about look at this amazing ride that I did. And it's like, it's just insane. It's nonstop now. You just get cycling content all the time because that's what people want. Yeah. I think eventually it's not far off. I reckon the cycling season's not far off. Have you ever watched Drive to Survive? The F1. I haven't, no. Oh, get on it. Netflix. Like, Drive to Survive is an F1 documentary. I'm, I reckon they're not far off doing something like that with most other sports, like cycling, because it made F1 more like than car racing. So it's like now I watch F1 and I watch the people racing for fourth and fifth rather than the person winning. Um, well, cause so, so fill me in if I haven't seen it. It's, 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 what, it's, it's just like it, it's basically like the everything that happens behind the scenes. So like them with their sponsors, like the arguments within the team, the like developments throughout the year, like the like silly, they call it silly season where they start changing, all the drivers start changing between teams and making sure they've got a like got a drive for next year and like every race it's like the emotions for each race so it's like massive behind the scenes pass really um, yeah so it's full, basically full disclosure it's basically like um, everyone can hear everything that happens obviously it's massively edited to like not let you know too much about any team but you know it's like talking to the that Claire Williams like head of Williams and she's just discussing about the fact that you know Mercedes are running a 600 million a year budget versus their 150 and like she's saying we can only employ this many staff and it's just like it's kind of interesting but I kind of yeah that, I think that'd be really you know given given what we just talked about earlier just the, the surprise I had when I had a glimpse behind I think that'd be a, an interesting thing to do with cycling so people can appreciate just how many people come together to get involved to get the athletes on the line and give you the full picture but conversely, I spoke to a journalist on the podcast last week, and and he said that he's felt that it's it's harder to get access to to, to riders in more recent years because there's you know more press officers or people sort of stopping that access. So maybe that's something that I think also, needs to think of actually opening the doors more, not shutting people out. Yeah, yeah. I think also the thing, the issue with cycling is that you've got the conflict between social media and actual media attention because if you post something on social media someone from a magazine or something will find it like you said you saw the videos on my instagram the other day like yeah if i was posting me on a night out or something like that on my instagram which i'm allowed to do i'm an adult but if i posted that it would be some magazine saying oh you're not taking your training seriously and then that's i think why yeah. um, it makes people slightly more guarded so it's that conflict between like yeah having non-stop yeah. access and having like quality well because the knock-on effect the knock-on effect i mean i don't want to get too too into um but you know this whole cancel culture thing is quite scary and the knock-on effect of that as you said you know that could stop someone getting a contract next year if yeah yeah massively, massively. irresponsible or, yeah well it's all yeah. advertisement so you've got to make sure you're advertising the right person you've got to like that person has to be like a each rider i suppose is like a bit of an ambassador for the team so you got to make yeah. sure that that person is representing the team well otherwise there's you know, there's a lot more politics as well involved in cycling, I feel like. But yeah, let's not open that can of worms. Let's not, definitely don't open that can of worms. <laughs> awesome, mate. Look, I've, I've caught, I've taken up loads of your time and um, I'd actually love to get you back on. I think there's lots of other things we, we could discuss or even get yourself back on and, and some more guests and, and three of us have a chat. But thank you very, very much for, for taking the time to say hello. Yeah, no, that's perfectly, um, well, I mean, it's, it's filled up my day and mate set my day off to a good start so yeah i'm all happy yeah but we've actually got a beautiful day after all the rain recently i feel that you should be out <laughs> riding are you going out this afternoon yeah i'm gonna head out this afternoon i got a bit of work to do this morning but then I, i'm gonna head off later this afternoon i think so yeah excellent well please do come back and join us and and i hope racing opens up and and everything is okay for you and and generally if there is anyone out there listening that wants to get in contact with Jacob for any kind of ideas or initiatives or anything like that, please. Can we get your, what can we do? Should we, can so we post what, your Instagram? Or? Yeah, post my Instagram. Post, uh, yeah, whatever you want, really, man. Like, I mean, uh, we're setting up currently, me and my missus have set up a marketing company to um, 
basically create content so yeah if anyone's listening and they want any videos or and i, I think um, can you just remind i think i know who your fiance is could you might uh, just kira, remind me kira sorry say again kira mcvitty so and she has uh, a famous instagram handle right ginger biscuit yeah okay cool i didn't actually realize that that you guys were together okay so we'll yeah. put her details in there you're setting up a marketing company that's pretty yeah, cool when, when you're going live how can we find it so it's uh called the best marketing which is an seo wet dream but it's um we are basically planning to go live within the next week or so but we are currently working now it's just basically we're just getting the website set up but if anyone does need any video content or photo content or you know brand guidelines that sort of thing that's kind of what we're doing currently so yeah we're all about fantastic excellent well um yeah do, do get in touch what, what we'll do is if have you got a website yet for the new agency uh i'll whack in my i'll tell you what if possible i'll put in my um email address for it somewhere. yeah well. Well, perfect we'll get all that in there and then maybe when you're up and running we'll get both of you on the show to talk us through how it's going and how you're finding things yeah yeah that'd be perfect sounds good excellent you're our gentleman and thanks for the time and we'll speak again very soon lovely job right speak soon thank you cheers mate Bye-bye. bye thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly don't forget to download the unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub we'll see you on there